Um, we are wrapping up our series, United by Faith, being a reconciled church in a divided world. Um, something's happening on Tuesday. What's happening on Tuesday? Brian, what's happening on Tuesday? <laughs> uh, elections are happening on Tuesday. Um, uh, our conversation stayed right here. Elections happening on Tuesday. As I was praying, actually, on what to say, because those of you that are just joining us, we spent two weeks talking about politics of Jesus and how we as Christians ought to engage. Four things I want to remind you. Number one, please be Christ-like in your interactions with people for the next few days. Can I get an amen? In your social media, in your work, please, please be Christ-like. Please be Christ-like in your character, in your speech, especially to those who disagree with you. Number two, vote. Please vote. Jenny and I are going to do early voting tomorrow. Maybe some of y'all don't need to wait until Tuesday. Vote. Vote. Number three, let's remind ourselves that regardless who gets elected, November 9th, Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Can I get an amen? Yes, yes, yes. And that's not some churchy, no, 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 no. If you do not believe that, I don't know how we get up in the morning any day if we do not believe that he is sovereign, that he is Lord. And then number four, more importantly, regardless who gets elected, the church in America will have to rise up and be the church. We will have so much work to do. The church will have so much work to do to address and heal and redeem the brokenness around us. Um, Today, if you're joining us for the first time, today actually is going to be very much a family conversation. And then we allow those of you that are visiting maybe to listen in. In other words, it's going to be very personal. It's going to be very specific, very tangible. And furthermore, I'm going to do a huge ask of you at the end of the service, an ask that I've never done in the 14 years history of this church, a big ask, which is going to require some of us courage. So just hold on to that. That's why I say, if you're new to the church, don't feel any pressure to participate. This goes for our church family members who call New Community your home. We started this series with Michael Emerson giving us a big picture of the state of our country when it comes to the issue of race. And so as we bookend this series, I asked him essentially to come and share with us, share with us, particularly around this, why, why is it important for the church in America to be the rectal church? Why is this critical that we be the church? And so he's going to just come up and give a short summary. This isn't opinion. This isn't here. This is, he's, uh, as far as I know, one of the leading sociologists in the country in regards to this issue. And he's been studying this for 20-some years Why is it important? Why have we talked about this? And why will we continue to talk about this? So, Um, And and to be clear, Pastor Peter said do this in 10 minutes or less. So (laughs) here we go. I am going to just organize these comments as kind of a a summary of, of how race has divided our nation. So historically and today, 
in our nation and in, in our church. So we're going to look at that. So the divisions that are in our nation today run so deep, they are at the very core. If you think of a tree, when our nation is planted, the roots are about race. And I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations of this. So you probably heard of the Declaration of Independence. This was the letter written to the King of England that said, we shall be free. Okay. So we know it said, a famous line, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We hope when they said men, they meant everybody. They didn't necessarily though, did they? That's right. 30 lines below. So if you look at the Declaration of Independence today, still there. They declare why they're so upset. We usually learn in school, it's about taxes and stuff like that. What they're really upset is that the king had violated their right, their perceived right to expansion. So the king had said, colonists, you can not go past the Appalachian Mountains and keep conquering land. You're done. Right there, you stop at the Appalachian Mountains. So that, ex- that it made them very upset, and they wrote this. He, the king, has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers the merciless Indian savages. So the reason that they had to keep expanding is they had to undo the Indian savages. When our country was founded, we, uh, the leaders had something they were very frightened about. We take it for granted now, democracy. But democracy was such a unique experiment, they had no idea if it would work. So our founders tried to teach Americans how to be Americans, how to vote. And the way they decided to do it was to racialize it. So the teaching goes like this. We who vote, we who are going to be in a democracy must be ruled by our intelligence. And we must be ruled by our intellect. So what was the counter example? Always it was, you cannot be like the slaves or the Indian savages who are ruled by their passions. They are incapable of being in a democracy. So it starts feeding right there, then and there. Part of this is, when they talk about Indian savages, it's also because they're not Christian. If Native Americans became Christian, could they join in? No, they could not because of this teaching that some are ruled by their passions, some by their minds. So we had what we are called praying towns, whole new towns that were created when Native Americans became Christianized to live with each other. They weren't allowed to live with the white colonists. Okay, so from the Declaration of Independence came our empire's Bible, the Constitution. The Constitution, as we know, starts with this. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. A few lines later, Article 1, Section 3, Section 2, it says, representatives and direct taxes, so who's going to get into Congress and how will we tax, shall be apportioned among the several states which may be included within this union according to their respective numbers. How do we count people? Well, it shall be determined by adding to the whole numbers of free persons, excluding Indians, not people, and three-fifths of all other persons. So we have three tiers of humanity. Free persons who are white and the whole, they get to count as one. Uh, slaves, three-fifths of people, and then Native Americans not counted. 
The problem, of course, is that the church is part of all of this all the way along. And the, what the church is doing during all this time is blessing this, ordaining mm. this mm. as this is God's way. Okay. One thing that's um, interesting to see is that we've had three main economic phases in our country. Three main economic phases. And the three economic phases has each time led to a different racial system. One that fits the economic system. So you'll see up here, until about 1865, we had a plantation economy and you get a racial caste system. Just like you have in India, you're born into a a place and society and there you stay and there's no question about where you are. After that, we moved into a kind of a two-tiered system. Agrarian system in the south, industrialization in the north. We get the same system but with different names. So in the south, you get Jim Crow segregation. Segregation by law. Which drinking fountain can you drink from? The law will state it. In the north, they do it by de facto segregation, meaning segregation in fact. You don't have to make a law about which uh, drinking fountain to drink from because you segregate by neighborhood so you don't run into each other and you don't have the same drinking fountains. That's how the north did their segregation. About 1980, we transitioned from an industrial economy into a new economy we call the information creative economy. And in that economy, which is what we are in now, we have a racial system which we call the colorblind racial system. And that has got four components to it, four major components. So let me just, I always like to say I make them rhyme. We decolorate, segregate, incarcerate, and alienate. Mm. Decolorate Mm. is this idea, it's fundamental to the system. That is this colorblind, that we are post-racial, race no longer matters, we solved that problem in the 1960s, therefore we won't talk about it. When you don't talk about it, you can have these other three operate without any interference. So we continue to have massive segregation in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our churches. We, uh, in this next step, the incarcerate, uh, I know that the church had a while back went through the new Jim Crow. And it really is powerful because in each system, there's a way to create categories of people and their amount of citizenship. So by incarcerating massive amounts of people, we incarcerate at a higher rate than any nation in the world, and we do it by race. You're about 20 times more likely to end up in prison if you're black or Hispanic. Even even if the amount of crime committed is the same, you're much more likely to end up in prison if you're black or Hispanic. It's what happens if you do get out. You're permanently a second-class citizen, right? Especially if you're there for a felony. You can't vote or you have to wait a very long time. It's very difficult to find a job. You can't qualify for government loans. You can't go to college with government aid. It goes on and on. And then finally, and you see this, we've seen this a lot, uh, and it's actually happening in much of the world, we alienate. Again, categorizing people. So some people are Americans and fully human, and some people are aliens, illegal aliens, that's the way, again, to segregate. It causes all kinds of issues. Um, I always have this list. I'm just going to read a couple of these, but the ways in which today we are racially divided. Our health, how we die, our employment rates, who we marry, the occupations we go into, how long we will live, the kind of uh, our experience with the criminal justice system, what advertising we see, what names we're given, what kind of education we're exposed to, the neighborhoods we'll live in, the rates will pay to get a loan for a car or for a house, um, the music we listen to, 
how much respect we'll get, how we perceive and practice religion, how much we'll pay for products, uh, what we watch on TV, very racially based, wealth. There's many more, but I'm going to stop there. If you were here a few weeks ago, you had heard me say we're in a, a system or a point in our history which we're going to break. And that is we now have um, whites having twice the wealth of Asians and 20 times the wealth of African Americans and Hispanics. Unsustainable. Societies can't exist at that degree of inequality. I went through the 400 wealthiest Americans as reported by Forbes, and you can see our racial order here too. 387 white, 9 Asian, 3 Hispanic, 1 African American. Everybody knows who that is. And 0 Native Americans. The church is... uh, remains highly, highly segregated. We've been tracking this for 20 years. Currently, 86% of all churches are racially homogenous, meaning that at least 8 out of every 10 people in the church is of the same race. A lot of times people will say, well, that's because neighborhoods are segregated, and neighborhoods are segregated. But when we looked at churches and the neighborhoods they sit in, what we found is that churches are 10 times more segregated than the neighborhoods that they sit in. Mm. Ten times more segregated than the neighborhoods they're in. Mm. Why does it matter? Segregated churches reduce the amount of interracial friendships in our society. They heighten distinctions along racial lines. Mm. They further segregate us. And this one shocked us. But segregated churches actually reproduce and widen the economic inequality in this country. Mm. Partly because we get our jobs by meeting people, having connections... And when you have segregated churches, it makes sure that all that flows along racial lines. So I will just close here that our divisions run deep. They cost lives. And it doesn't seem as if it's going away anytime soon. Thank you. I've shared with a couple of people um, that... um, I've just been uh, just tired and exhausted for the last month or so. Like, this is heavy. This is really heavy. Emotionally, it's kind of taken a toll. It's heavy. It's heavy. Spiritually. Um, where do we go from here? Where do we, where do we go from here? And why does this matter? Um, Let me be really, really clear about what we mean when we say that we want to be a reconciled church. A reconciled church is one in which people of different race, ethnicity, I would say even class, gender, commit to deep, long-term relationships based on repentance, forgiveness, justice, and love in order to heal, address, and redeem the effects of personal, corporate, and systemic race-based sin. That's what racial reconciliation is, and that's what... If you have any doubts, what does this church want to be about? What are we committed to long-term? That's what we're, that's what we're saying. Why is this important? Because we began the sermon series by saying a very simple but profound truth, and that is that the gospel is about reconciliation. 
The gospel is about reconciliation. It's that simple. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed, let's read that together, that part, ready? Let's read that part together, ready? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. One more time. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And reconciliation, when you look at it biblically, theologically, in every way, it essentially, at the end of the day, means two things. That's to right wrong relationships and to put things back together. And what we can't get away from is that when you read the Bible, this is in essence what Jesus came to do. He came to reconcile, make our relationship right with God. He came to reconcile, make our relationship right with divided, fallen humanity, and also to restore, put back all of creation. That's what he came to do. He came preaching the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, under which, under which all the things that fell apart because of sin will be put back together. Folks, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. To say that the gospel is about me being forgiven of my sins so I can go to heaven is to present a truncated, ineffective gospel. Do you hear me? The gospel is about this robust work of reconciliation under which everything that fell apart because of sin will be put back together. And the problem, of course, is many of us grew up in churches where we're going, that's not a, that's not a part of the gospel. So give me just a little bit of time for anybody out there who's still asking, you might be here for the first time, why are they even talking about this? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and all authority, power and dominion, and every name that is involved, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Christ, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. And Paul is essentially making an argument, saying, I want you to know about Jesus' power, his incomparably great power that was demonstrated in his victory over Satan, sin, and death when God raised him and seated him at the right hand of God. And for those of you that are familiar with this book, the rest of the Bible, essentially, book in Ephesians, especially chapter 2, Paul is essentially answering this question. So how is Christ's triumph over Satan, sin, and death demonstrated? How is Christ seated, being seated at the right hand of God demonstrated today? And he answers that in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 4. But he, because of a great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ in order that in the coming ages he might know the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So here's one way that God demonstrates his power. Here's one way that God demonstrates Christ's victory over Satan, sin, and death. Here's one way that we, are, we, are, we, we, we can know today that he reigns and rules with authority. And this is one big part of the gospel that I love. He brings spiritually dead people back to life. Is that good news to anybody? He rescues us sinners from the grip of Satan, sin, and death. I want to tell you something today. If you're a Christian, this ought to be good news. Uh, What we needed wasn't help to get over the top. Uh, God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible. We weren't spiritually sick. We were dead. You, you hear what I'm saying? We were spiritually dead. And Christ, in his grace and mercy, brought us back to life and rescued us from the grip of Satan's sin. Is that good news to anybody? Because that means that if you are here today, you had nothing to do with it. That is good news. But Paul doesn't stop there. See, we act like the gospel ends with Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. It doesn't stop there. He continues. And he says, here's another aspect in which Christ's victory over Satan's sin and death is demonstrated. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That word literally means enmity or hatred by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. Do you know that the world of the first century is not unlike our world today? It's a world familiar with oppression and injustice. The world of the first century is one in which the Jews basically believed that Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. They got up every morning, a Jewish man, and prayed, God, I thank you that I wasn't born a woman. I thank you that I wasn't born a slave. I thank you that I wasn't born a what? A Gentile. When a Jewish boy wanted to marry a Gentile woman, his parents held a funeral for the son. Why? He was as good as dead. This is the, and the Gentiles, they returned the favor, by the way. They despised the Jews. They looked at the Jews and said, What peculiar people, because of their dietary laws, they just seemed weird. Not only that, their history was filled with oppression and being under the oppression of one nation after another. The hostility we're talking about between Jews and Gentiles in the first century, from a historic point of view, was absolutely unabridgable. And what does Jesus do? Verse 15, this is the gospel. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Let me be very, very clear. That word one new man out of the two, kainon anthropon in Greek, literally means a new race of people. There is a small Bible, a verse in the Bible, that it just kind of seems like a throwaway verse that is filled with explosive, dynamite, profound truth. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. He's writing to the Corinthians. He says this, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew or Greeks or the church of God. Let me put it this way. 
Before Jesus Christ enters human history, there are two races of people, Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus says, now by my death and resurrection, there's now in human history three races. The Jews, the Gentiles, and the child. The church. The early Christians referred to themselves as the new race. The watching world is, is seeing something in the first century that is unheard of. That is a Jew and Gentile arm in arm walking into the marketplace. A Jew and Gentile raising their children together. A master and a slave praying together, worshiping together. Two hated Races of people marrying each other, burying each other. The first century church is not only transcending racial hostility, but class distinctions. You know that for the first 200 years, Christians refer to each other by their first names only. Do you know why? Because their last names displayed their social status in society. And they said, we're going to have none of that. You're Peter, you're Mark, you're Susan. A new race of people. So here's the question that I've been asking for five weeks. Is that happening here? Is that kind of oneness and relational depth happening here? What we've been asking. Is this a church? That's why I told you visitors, you're welcome to listen in. I'm talking to my family right now. Is this the place in which our common identity has been so shaped by the gospel? A place in which our allegiance to Jesus Christ and his kingdom has so powerfully shaped our hearts? That we have deeper relationships with Christians of other race, ethnicity, and culture than we do with our own race and culture of people who do not know Jesus. Is there deeper relationships in this household of God because of Christ and what he has done to us than even our own family members who don't know Jesus? Is our identity so fundamentally shaped by the gospel that there is this kind of relational depth and connections happening? We live in an us versus them world. I've said this two weeks ago. And if you're not part of us, we don't want anything to do with you. The church is that one place where the us versus them distinctions out in the world is obliterated. Can I get an amen? And a new language, a new language captures us. It's no longer us versus them, but a new we that recognizes that we are part of the body of Christ. And now all of a sudden, I need you and you need me. And interdependence characterizes our relationships. Is that happening here? 
you know that's what we're saying when we say we want to be a city within a city in alternate Chicago? Secondly, though, and I need to move on. In order for us to be this reconciled countercultural body, as we get into relationships, and I talked about this last Sunday, it's inevitable that there will be conflict, inevitable that there will be offense being done, offense being received. It is critical that we learn the second component of what it means to reconcile community, and that is that our relationships should be based on repentance, forgiveness, justice, and love. By the way, I didn't say this last week. I don't know why, but I'm going to say this. If we're not offending each other and being offended, if we're not constantly having to forgive, our relationships are probably not deep enough. See, if we're scared to just kind of be on the surface level, like, you know, I don't, it's because our relationships probably, because you know what? If our relationships were to go there, we better learn the spiritual discipline of how to repent and how to forgive well. And last week, and this is where the big ask is coming. You ready? You ready? Say yes. Even if you're not lying, say yes. Here's the big ask. You ready? Last week, we talked about the need for corporate repentance. And corporate repentance is not what you think it is. It's not all of us coming together. Corporate repentance, which I'm going to talk about, is critical if there is to be healing and moving forward. Corporate repentance, for those of us that are Western individual Americans, that is foreign to us, one, is very, very biblical. I read this passage. There's multiple I can go to, but I mean, just read one passage from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, of course, is called by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem before he goes, as he thinks about, as he thinks about the history of his own nation. This is what he prays. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayers of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Now listen to the following. I confess the sin. Say the following with me. We Israelites including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant, Moses. Repentance scripture is not just an individual thing for individual actions, but apparently it's perfectly biblical to repent for the sins of our ancestors, for our families, and yes, even our countries. What does corporate repentance look like? By the way, here's the big ask. You ready? Big ask is at the end of this service in a little bit, I'm going to give some space for corporate repentance. Corporate repentance begins by acknowledging Sin. We cannot turn from sin that we pretend doesn't exist. See, see, I'm going to say that again, okay? We cannot repent from sin that we do not acknowledge exists. It wasn't until 1964, the Civil Rights Act, that racial discrimination in this country ended. That was 52 years ago. 
For generations, that means. For generations, white Americans had access to education, financial, legal, what institutions and systems that non-white Americans had no access to. Can I remind all of us this morning that it wasn't until 1965, the Voting Rights Act, that black people could vote. 51 years ago. I need a stool. Are we really, are we really, are we really thinking people, are we really going to sit here and go that the generations of systemic institutional racism because it ended 52 years ago by law no longer exists? Are we really going to pretend that that's the case? Do you know, Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative talks about when you go to Berlin, reminders of Holocaust is everywhere. When you go to Berlin, reminders of Holocaust, if you can't go a few feet without being reminded, why? Because as a nation, what do they do? They said, one, we acknowledge that the seriousness and the atrocities committed, we will never forget. And secondly, we will recommit ourselves to making sure that that doesn't happen again. We don't have that in our country. We are ignorant of systemic racism because we are numb to our historic sense. I told you this was going to be heavy. If we as a nation will move forward, we have to acknowledge that there is sin and repent of it. Can I get an amen? You know what this sounds like? So corporate repentance sounds like some of us saying, I acknowledge the sin of racism. I acknowledge that racism was evil. I acknowledge that some people in this country have benefited from systems purely by the color of their skin while it has done destruction and harm to our black brothers and sisters. Acknowledging sin. But it doesn't end there. Corporate repentance also involves expressing sorrow, grief, and regret at the historic as well as contemporary consequences of racism. So listen carefully, please. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but this is what corporate repentance sounds like. Not only to acknowledge sin, but it's saying, I am grieved that I live in a country that was built to elevate and benefit certain races of people. I am grieved that those systems continue to benefit the very same people while it has continued to do destruction and harm to our black brothers and sisters. I regret. I am sorry. And this is the hard part for some of us. You ready? Ready? I am sorry that I've been passive, that I have been silent, that I have turned away, that I've been complacent. And third, corporate repentance seeks to understand more so that we could act and be an advocate for justice and then the pain of racism. But this morning, there's even a bigger ask 
for some of us. And the bigger ask is this. The bigger ask is that there are some of us in this room who have been victims of injustice and victims of oppression and the role for us, and again, I'm not talking about the world out there. I'm talking about those in the church. The role for us, as I talked about briefly last week, is to forgive for the sake of justice. Forgive for the sake of justice. For some of us, our brothers and sisters in this room, and I as your pastor, humbly want to speak to you just for two minutes, and that is this. When we forgive those who have harmed us, one, it in no way, it in no way is saying it doesn't matter what they've done. It in no way is asking them to change. It in no way is asking them to own up to what they've done. But the reason why forgiveness is important is this. Without true forgiveness, there can't be true justice. If we do not forgive when we go to reconcile, if we do not drain ourselves of anger and bitterness and hatred, when we go to reconcile, I said this last week, when we go to reconcile, we will not go for justice sake. We will simply go to say, I want to make you pay more than you made me pay. We cannot be agents of reconciliation and be agents of true justice unless we can truly forgive those who have wronged us. If there is no forgiveness, there is no true justice. I said this last week. If you want justice and nothing but justice, the inevitable result is injustice. If there is going to be reconciliation in the body, we need men and women who will say, I forgive you so that I can reconcile and we can pursue justice together. Say, well, how do I do that, Peter? How do I do that? How do I let go of anger and bitterness and reconcile with those who have hurt so that we could together seek justice? And my answer, as always, is the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. The cross reminds me that I can forgive without taking justice in my own hands. Why? Because the cross reminds me that there is a God of justice whose scales and whose balances are perfect and who will not any evil, any injustice be be able to get away with it. And he will one day judge all evil and all injustice perfectly and I don't have to take justice in my own hands. If you do not have the perspective of the cross, that on the cross Jesus is hanging Jesus is hanging on the cross, taking evil, taking injustice, taking evil, taking wickedness of sin so that someday he could end all evil and all injustice without ending me. If that gospel doesn't penetrate your heart, you're going to want to pick up the sword and pay someone back. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? The reason we can forgive and work towards justice without taking up the sword and saying, I want to make you pay is because Jesus Christ someday will make all things just. You don't have 
to mete out justice. But that's also humbling to me, you see. Because he didn't just die for sin and injustice out there. He died for sin and injustice in here. And if he can forgive, if he can forgive me, then I can forgive you. And I can forgive you. Reconciliation work is absolutely excruciating. If it wasn't painful, I would say it wasn't genuine. I will lose my will to stay in the fight, church, if I forget that he came to earth to reconcile sinful human like me to himself. I will lose the will to stay in the fight if I didn't believe that in Christ, as it says in Ephesians 2, he came to reconcile sinful humanity each other. And I will lose my will to fight if I forget the perspective that even my feeble attempts at reconciliation work now will live on in the power of the resurrection and someday, someday, someday he will establish a world with perfect justice. And so the work that we do here and now, even the small feeble work, is something that God will use. in a country about to head to the polls where we are reminded for 12 months. And Michael Emerson just statistically showed us for 12 months we're reminded of the division, hostility, and enmity. Not in some other foreign country, even here in our city. If we do not begin this work, if we, we do not begin this work of being the reconciled people, there's no hope out there. The church. We've never in 14 year history done this. Where I've put a microphone at the very front and I invited our church family come up one by one whoever wants to feels led to to pray prayers of corporate repentance we've never done it we've talked about it we've never done it we've never had a time in which a public space safe space was given for anybody that felt led to come on up to pray prayers of corporate repentance. And as I prayed and agonized months ago about how I wanted to end this sermon series, I felt the Holy Spirit say, that's how you ought to do it, to which I said, oh, heck no. God, do you know, first of all, like that's never done in churches, like to which I was reminded, new community ain't like other churches. Like, okay, that's a good point, okay. Secondly, secondly, the reason why I'm doing this is over the last five weeks, this is why I love you, church family. I had white folks in our church come up to me and say, can we have space to do that? White people in our church.
What is this going to look like? How are we going to do this? Directions and then an open space. One. This time is going to kind of go on for the next, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes or so. Our service normally ends around 1130. I'm lying. It ends around 1145 because, you know, your pastor likes to preach long. You are welcomed. Listen to me. Leo welcomed at some point to leave. We're not going to be here like past 12 o'clock, but you're welcome at one point to get up and go, I got, I'm hoping that many of you will stay as long as this continues. So parents, if you need to pick up your kids around 1140 or so, teachers already know. Number two, I'm not asking someone to come up here and say inappropriate sort of, so this is my history. No, no, no. If you do that, I'm going to gently and firmly put my arm around you and go, let's sit down. This is a prayer time for corporate repentance. It doesn't need to last more than a minute. I see some of you guys are already getting emotional. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. And hopefully I've given some of you words, like I said, okay, of what it means to acknowledge sin, express sorrow. We don't need to hear your testimony. It's for another time, another place. I've also been praying that there might be some folks that will come up and pray prayers of forgiveness. That would also happen. If you would like to pray, and you don't have to close your eyes, I encourage you actually to look and see your brothers and sisters. If you would like to pray, for those of you sitting on this side, I'm going to sort of have this pew over here as the, the bench to wait if you want to go and there's other people at the mic, okay? And I'll kind of guide and lead whoever wants to pray to go up and pray, okay? You heard the story of Peter Cha. He shared this. The most profound reconciliation moment happened years back at Urbana where Japanese contingency at Urbana asked the Korean contingency to stand. You go, well, 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 what was that all about? This was when stories came out that during World War II, Japanese soldiers had taken Korean women to be comfort women, to use as sex slaves. And the nation of Japan refused to even acknowledge it. And that only exacerbated the hostility between the Japanese and Koreans. And this Urbana, the Holy Spirit fell on the Japanese contingency. They came up and said, can we ask the Korean students to stand? They stood. The, the, all the Japanese contingency then bowed and knelt. And one by one prayed, we ask you for forgiveness for the sins of our fathers. Then what was even more amazing was afterwards the Korean contingency then asked the Japanese contingency to stand. And the Korean contingency said, we ask you for forgiveness for years and generations of hatred, anger, and bitterness we held towards your people. Could that moment happen here today? Anybody feels led, you come on up. You pray.
Lord, I want to confess that I bought into the system of ranking people, that some people are worth more than others. Jesus. It horrifies me, but I have. And Jesus. Father, I apologize that together as people we've bought into a system that is so clearly unchristian, it's unfathomable that we could even believe it for a second. I ask, Lord, not only that you would forgive, but brothers and sisters could forgive, that you would help us to reconcile, work together to make true change. Enough of this hundreds of years of division. Your power is much greater. Yes. And Lord, I, I want to start with this as a white person. I think of Jesus, who had more power and more privilege than any human being could ever conceive of. And what did Jesus do? He gave it away. Yes. Lord, I I ask forgiveness, God, um, of apathy t- that I used to live in towards um, the issue of racial reconciliation in our society, God. And I ask for forgiveness for um, the abuse of privilege that I've used in my life, God, and Jesus. that Jesus. I've been able to choose Jesus. when I enter, enter into this conversation, God, Jesus, and leave my brothers and sisters of color who are in Christ with me, God, in the body of Christ, Jesus. by the wayside, God, Jesus. when when this conversation has become uncomfortable for me, God. Jesus. That it doesn't have to be a daily reality of my life, Father. Jesus. I ask for forgiveness for that apathy, God. Jesus. Um. Jesus. Father God. You have filled us, members of your body, with your Holy Spirit and have called us to be salt and to be light, to be your ambassadors. Lord, I ask that you would please forgive us, members of your body, whom you have called to go out into the world and to make disciples for being silent the many times that we have been. Lord, at the times in, in, in workplaces... When we don't speak up Jesus. on behalf of those Jesus. who are ostracized Jesus. or oppressed. Jesus. The times in our families, Lord, Jesus. where we don't speak up on behalf of those who are condemned and criticized. Jesus. Lord, the times that we allow people to be marginalized Jesus. and we don't say or do anything about it, Lord. Jesus. Lord, the times where we choose to save face over speaking 
your love and your truth Jesus. where we find ourselves. Lord, the times that we are concerned about our egos and our pride and our reputations Jesus. over helping those who need help. Jesus. Lord, I ask you, please forgive us. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, forgive me and my family for the ways we have been complicit in white privilege. Jesus. Lord, forgive my people for what we have done for 400 years, God. Jesus. God, help, help us to be brave. Jesus. Help us not to remain silent Jesus. in the face of racism, whether overt or just kind of sideways Jesus. racism. God, Lord, would you just forgive us and help us to be stronger than the insane prejudices of this world. God, forgive us for taking something so arbitrary as the color of a person's skin and making it more more important than a person. God, forgive my people for how they've put economic gain before equality. Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for the sin of having the opportunity Jesus. to make declare everyone equal when we founded this country and yet failing to do so. Jesus. God, would you give us the strength to be anti-racist? Give us the strength to speak up. Jesus. Lord, when... When Amy died, people said that she supported the black community. Would people say that about me when I die? God, I don't think it's a mistake that I haven't been to Chicago in a year, and today I come because 10 years ago, in the finale of um, a sermon series on racism here with um, Newcom, my parents were here, and my grandparents were here from New Hampshire, and um, we were talking about racism, and they all, one by one, stood up and walked out. So as doctor, as doctor, as Pastor Peter reminds us to pray and ask for forgiveness for our ancestors, I pray and ask you to forgive my parents and my grandparents who have now passed away. I ask for forgiveness for ignorance. Um, being raised in a family, you don't think that you're racist until 
you realize that you've grown up believing that racism is only a term that people use that are colored, which is not true. We see it every day now, more and more, and I don't know if it's, I know it's probably always been there just as large, but with media, we are seeing it. But God, I pray for all those families, whether they are living in a highly populated white area or state or church, that you would have mercy on them and somehow, Lord, that you would open their eyes against ignorance because I don't know how to fix that. Generations and generations and generations of lies and judgment and clashing and it's so big that no matter how far you've brought me, I don't know how to bring my family not to see even leaders in our, in our government or aspiring to be in our government to see this is not who you would want to lead. And God, I just pray that you would forgive me as a mom for anything that I could do to make this worse. And I just pray that you would continue to grow in me, but also that you would help our kids, that they would be a new culture, that they would see everybody just as people, because that's all we are. But also that that wouldn't protect us from not protecting and standing up and accepting that we have been wrong. And I don't really know what else to say, but God, I'm sorry. And I thank you for this church. It has been monumental, monumental in my life. And even though I live somewhere else now, Lord, that you are working in this place. And I pray for the people that have left here and have had that message of that community, that they will be a light to where they go. In your name I pray, amen. I confess that I have privilege in this country by the color of my skin and it grieves me God and I want to repent of the ways God that every day um, by where I go what I do and what I say I'm treated differently God, I'm sorry. We are sorry. Lord, my friends of color don't have the option of entering into this conversation, and I do. God, I confess it often. I'm passive and complacent. Jesus, Jesus. And I choose not to fight. Jesus. Because I have the, I have the, I can be comfortable. God, would I hate that. Would we hate that? Those of us that because of privilege in the way this country is set up have the option of not engaging. Would we no longer not engage, but would we engage? Jesus. Would we love? Jesus. Would we confess to our friends? Would we build relationships, God? God, would you change this country? Would you use me? Would you use us? Would you change our hearts? 
Would you unite us because you are our Father. We are your children. Would we live differently because we are your children, God? Jesus. Start with us. Father God, I'm angry. I'm very, very, very angry. And I don't want forgiveness. I want justice. I interact with with people on a daily basis who do not love you and who hate the people that I love. And I hate them. I don't want to deal with them. Jesus. I wish that they would leave social media and never come back. I want them to be gone. I want them to be wiped off the face of the planet. And I have anger in my heart. Because the spaces and the places where I go, everybody looks like me. And I don't have the option to invite other people in because it's not safe. I can't fix this. I can't do anything. I need you to break in and bring your justice. Destroy these systems that we have created. Break the chains of injustice. Destroy. Destroy with whatever power you need the things that I am able to take advantage of. Bring your justice to the United States of America. Whatever that looks like, bring it. Jesus. Father, I come before you myself I repent on behalf of myself on behalf of our forefathers Jesus Father I repent now for myself and my people for not believing stories Jesus of my brothers and sisters Jesus my Christian brothers and sisters in this new family. Jesus. While we would rather believe stories of those who do not claim this family. Jesus. God, I pray that your justice would come. God, I pray that your grace would abound for those who have been offended, who have been hurt. I pray that your blessings would fall on them. Yes. I, I pray that your true justice would come. Yes. Your true justice yes. would be felt. Yes. Where the high places would be made low. Yes. And those low valleys would be lifted up. Yes. God, that you would level everything. 
May those of us who have ears to hear, may we listen. And eyes to see, may we hear. Bring your justice. Bring your peace. On behalf of myself and my people. That we have done, God, for the cowardness, for the fact that we have forgotten that we aren't white, for the fact that we have believed that we can, we have integrated into a community that has somehow accepted us, and that we have accepted the privilege that has been given to us, God, and that we have been silent for the people that hasn't gotten that privilege. Jesus, Jesus. That we have been cowards and that we have sat down in the moments that we should have stood. That we have shut our mouths the moments that we should have spoken, spoke. Jesus. That we should have come together arm in arms the moments that we left and walked away, God. Pray that you would turn our hearts, God, and that we would come together and remind each other that we are the body of Christ. Jesus. No matter that what we have been given, that we have not been given, that we speak for the lesser for the oppressed God, for the suffering. God, move us. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Move us. Uh, I echo my sister's prayers um, and echo that, Lord, we uh, as Asians have enjoyed, Lord, just uh, the benefits of, Lord, the movements that have happened in this country, God. And, Lord, we, we, I confess that, um, that for too long our, my, my people have sat on the sidelines Jesus, and have Jesus, been apathetic Jesus, to, the, um, to the plight of our black brothers and sisters and other folks of color. Uh, we pray that you would just allow us, Lord, just to realize that, Lord, we are Jesus. part of the same fabric, that you knit our hearts together, Jesus. that the that the children that suffer, that we would see through those eyes, and that we would see our own children. Um, God, we pray that, um, and we just confess, Lord, um, that, God, we have just enjoyed so many things um, and have not seen how we need to stand and fight, God. And that we need to see, we need to stand together with uh, arm in arm, and um, God, we just we just ask that you would just forgive us, and forgive me, Lord, just for for my own apathy, um, and that um, that I have the ability, Lord, just to turn off the television, Jesus. that I have the ability to, to put down that newspaper, Jesus. put down that article from my phone, um, but I pray that you would just help me, Lord, just to see that God that you are calling us to action, yes. and that you give us. Yeah bravery as yes. as Asian folks in this church, yes. in this community, in the city, yes. uh, to Lord, just to support our brothers and sisters yes. and to 
and to take it upon ourselves to, Lord, just not do it for our own benefit, but for the benefit of those who are hurting. And, and Lord, you call us to do that. You call us to, uh, Lord, that as one part of the body hurts, Lord, that, that the entire body hurts together. And we pray that you would just give us hearts that would remember that. Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the vision of your kingdom and what that is, and ask for forgiveness for myself and my family for the deeply ingrained generalizations and compartmentalizations of others that leads to thinking that this one's okay and this one's not okay, and that those. And for forgiveness for the generalizations that keep those who are oppressed oppressed. And especially ask for forgiveness for the idea that is so insidious that they need to help themselves before we can help them. And they need to solve their own issues before we can step in. And that they need to earn the right for us to help, dear God. I ask that you move hearts, push people into uncomfortable places that would change them, that would open their mind and their heart to that vision of your kingdom. Jesus. That there may be opportunities opened and doors opened to serve one another as you served, dear Jesus. Lord, I come to you in prayer for my people, Lord. First, I ask that you would forgive us for intentionally holding on to bitterness and anger from generations and generations of being done wrong and overlooked and overstepped, put down and held back. I ask that you would begin to heal us as a nation. I ask that you would begin to bring us back together. I ask that you would begin to help us to see this world, this country in a new light, Lord. Not through the eyes of hurt and pain and sorrow. Not through the eyes of darkness and bitterness and and God, I ask that you would be able to I ask that we as a people would be able to lift our eyes to you, God. And begin to see our white brothers and sisters, our Hispanic brothers and sisters, mm. our Asian brothers mm. and sisters, mm. in a new way, Lord. Mm. God, I ask that you would bring your people together, God. Those who are called by your name, God, Jews and Gentiles alike. Bring us together, God, and to create Jesus. that new race, that new Jesus. life that you intended for us to have, Lord. And in order to do that, God, there needs to be healing, Lord. I ask for your healing, Lord Jesus, from hurt from both sides, God. Heal our hearts, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Dear Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. Forgive, I just ask for for me and for people like me who know the truth and have sat on the sidelines, Lord. I ask and I repent of uh, just relying on optics, Lord God, that living in a neighborhood with people who look differently than me, uh, going to a church with people who look differently than me, and sending my kids to a school that uh, with kids that look different than them, Lord, but failing to enter into relationships Jesus. with those people, Lord God. I ask for your forgiveness, Lord. I ask uh, for forgiveness for my brothers and sisters in the new community that I've failed to reach out to and be intentional about in relationships, Lord God. I ask for forgiveness for the neighbors in my neighborhood that I have not uh, gotten to know, Lord God, and to, to share your uh, love and your justice, Lord. Lord, I just ask for repentance and I, I pray for the strength to turn uh, from comfort, Lord, from selfishness, Lord God, for from those things to turn to being intentional, Lord, and to being an example, Lord. And I pray that regardless of what happens on Tuesday, Lord, that us as a church will be an example uh, in this neighborhood, Lord God, in this city, Lord, and in this country, Lord. I pray that you will start here with us, Lord. Start with me. Help me to be intentional, to be loving, to not be complacent, Lord God, but to speak up, to love those around me, and to, to love you uh, through that, Lord. God, I um, come before you and my brothers and sisters um, and I repent and ask for forgiveness uh, on behalf of, of me and my family um, and being Korean American, Asian American and being a uh, being able to privilege from um, immigrant parents, Lord, who came. Lord, forgive us uh, of seeking the American dream, um, coming to this country uh, to just make our lives better, Lord, for our own families, uh, for our culture, Lord, to seek successes and seek the privilege that, um, that we can enjoy Lord, um, for our self-seeking um, attitudes, Lord. Um, Lord, I ask for repentance. Uh, I ask for forgiveness, Lord, uh, on behalf of people who share uh, similar stories. Um, that they come, Lord, and uh, become complacent and ignore the injustices that go on, Lord, in this country. That we can just sake uh, just seek out uh, our comfort and our safety, Lord, in the communities that we um, that look like us, that share the same values and 
that we can distance ourselves, Lord, from, from other people's pains, from the injustices that are going on around us, Lord. So I, I, God, help us not to be silent, to be able to stand up. Um, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness on behalf of immigrant communities in the U.S., communities that can choose to disengage because we believe this is not our fight. Father, forgive us for looking on on both sides but never standing on the side of truth and justice. Father, forgive us for knowing that we have some place to go because we came from a place as an immigrant and knowing we can escape racism and escape prejudice. But Lord, we choose to live here. So would you forgive us? Would you raise us up as advocates and allies who stand as build, as build bridges, bridge builders, who stand in the middle to hold hands rather than walk away or hide. Father, would you forgive us for being complacent because we sought to get ahead, to move ahead. We came here for a better life. And Father, it is true that we are privileged to have a better life. Would you forgive us, God? Would you forgive us for closing our eyes, for stepping away from the conversation, for even looking on one side or the other with secret things in our hearts? Father, would you reveal the truth of our hearts to both us as well as to others that we would truly build community? Father, give us the strength and the power to cross lines, to stand for truth and justice, to never stand on the side of injustice because we falsely believe this is not our fight. Father, would you allow us to embrace and step into the truth that every fight on the side of the marginalized is your fight. That you stand for those who have been unjustly treated, mistreated. Father, would you raise up immigrants in this country to speak the truth and to not hide? Would you cause us to stand at the front of the line to hold our brothers and sisters to say, yes, we stand on your side. Would you, Lord, would you help us to embrace this country as our own because we have been adopted here now? That we are no longer resident aliens as we have been branded, but instead that you have caused us to be here for purpose and destiny, to be part of and parcel of what you are doing 
in and through the kingdom here, in this country, in this season, at this time, in this moment. God, I just want to come to you as a member of just one of the communities of color in this city, God. And I just want to ask your forgiveness for hanging on to hatred. Ask for your forgiveness for trading out my love for anger. Ask for forgiveness for giving up, for thinking it's not worth it to pursue reconciliation Jesus. for forgiveness for waging a war against you and a war against reconciliation Jesus. God I come to you from a place of anger I pray that you just turn our bald fists into outstretched hands Jesus. and we plead for your forgiveness God I'm sorry for giving up a vision of a unified body when all I could see was it trying to tear itself apart. God, I'm sorry for not giving anyone the benefit of the doubt. It's building up a wall against anyone. Forgive us, God. God, I just want to, I would echo the words of my Asian brothers and sisters that came before me. But I would also add, as I'm sitting, standing up here, I recall the petition that my Asian brothers and sisters wrote up fighting against one of the few tools of reparations for our black brothers and sisters, namely affirmative action. And I would ask for your forgiveness for our selfishness and our failure to see that uh, this is a tool. for helping out our brothers our black brothers and sisters who have been who don't have the same opportunities as we do um, so God, I would just ask for your forgiveness for our ignorance our blindness um, God, I would also ask for forgiveness for my own anger my own uh, inability to forgive the community I grew up with. Uh, God, I ask for your strength. Uh, stay with me in my journey, in all of our journeys. God, I ask for forgiveness for my family, uh, for the people that came before us, uh, for not seeing um, certain people of color as worthy partners in marriage for not seeing uh, 
worthy of uh, even relationships, just friendships. God, I just hope that um, that we would uh, just have the, the courage, give us the courage and the strength to reach out and really listen to their story and just just give us our give us ears uh, open our ears and eyes thank you God Father, I ask your forgiveness for myself and the situations that I've been in when I've had the opportunity to learn about the history and the past of my friends of color, and I have not taken that step to do so. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness for not working towards reconciliation and using my one or two friendships with people of a different race or ethnic background as an excuse to that I know the plight of of my brothers of color my sisters of color what I, I repent and I confess on behalf of my family and my ancestors who have oppressed those of color and Lord I confess on behalf of my peers and the people at my school I confess and repent for our disunity and our division among students Lord I pray that, that you would revive the hearts of, of my peers and that, that our, our campus would become a place of, a picture of, of eternity with all nations and tongues, Lord, and that we would not just be segregated, but that we would be united and be one, Lord. Forgive myself, Lord. I, I ask your forgiveness for my family, Lord, for my my church back home in Florida, and <laughs> that the, you would awaken their hearts to to reach out to those who are different than themselves, and not just claim that they know, Lord, that there would be revival there as well. Lord God, I'm sorry for my my lack of respect for for brothers and sisters of color, and my own apathy as well. Lord, I pray that that you would place in myself and my peers a fire and a desire for for unity. God, we want to... We want to address the sin that's even in our midst uh, in this church body. Um, Lord, we haven't uh, reached out to those who look different from us. And we ask that you'd forgive us for that. Um, But that you would transform us and inspire us to uh, be friends, be close brothers and sisters, just as you call us to. uh, With those who look much different from us, who have different experiences, different struggles. Um, 
So God, we just pray for healing in this, in this church. That God, even today you would inspire us, that you would motivate us to uh, seek out relationships that look different. That you'd give us courage to um, just not, uh, not be ruled by a desire to... It's just so easy to, to, to tend towards the people that look like you, that act like you, that have the same background as you. And Lord, we're all at fault in that. Um, I know for me, uh, Lord, I just haven't invested in the relationships that I should be investing in. And so I pray you'd give me courage to do that, uh, to seek um, heterogeneity, um, not just homogenous relationships. So we ask for your forgiveness. Father, I, I repent of the apathy, the fear in facing the evil and the sin in myself, in my family, in my community of origin, uh, for my own self-seeking, my commitment to my own comfort, and not wanting to see what is there, what is evil that tears apart myself, my family, people that I love, and I just ask that you would pour out um, your truth into the heart of um, all of my brothers and sisters, my family who's here, um, who is not here, that you would show us um, in each of our hearts um, what it is that you want to move within us and show us how you would want us to act together as a body to repent from this and to move and to um, be your hands and feet um, to move apart and take apart the things um, that are enacting violence um, and tearing apart the lives of um, black and brown and immigrant and other folks in this country who have been um, who have been just ground down in so many horrific and terrible ways while others have been allowed to thrive, Lord. And so I just ask that you would bring your justice um, by changing our hearts so that we would move when you say to move. Um, Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to be repentant and to be forgiven because we need your forgiveness. Um, it is every day, wake us up and just let us be grateful and glad for the ability to repent and be forgiven, Lord. Thank you so much for your love. Repentance is an ongoing, arduous process where we continue to look back. So that we might go forward in genuine repentance and being forgiven and experiencing His grace, so that we might be His ambassadors for His justice and love in our world today. What we began this morning doesn't end with the service, but my prayer is that as you go forth throughout the rest of today, and the rest of this week and the conversations that you will have 
and the moments that you will share with your family, friends, and coworkers. May God use your heart and your mouth as his mouthpiece so that you would be advocates for his justice and his love. Church, may we be the church. May we be this powerful new race of people that the world will watch and all. That by our lives and by our community we would display and demonstrate the reconciling power of the gospel that has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. We are your people, Father, as you send us forth. May you send us out with this gospel truth. Use us as your hands and your feet this week, particularly as we head towards Tuesday. May we be a calming presence in the midst of fear. May we be a peaceful presence in the midst of division and hostility. May we be a loving presence in the midst of hatred. May we be the church of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Go in peace. Go in peace.